Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I am Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I am the publisher of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on, asks me three questions. We have about a 10 minute conversation about each of them and that's it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips that they and hopefully you can put together use. Today, my guest is Danny Gregory. Danny is the author of a dozen best-selling books on art and creativity and the founder of Sketchbook School, an online art school. He has helped tens of thousands of artists come back to their creativity through his books, courses, workshops, and a paid membership community. And he publishes two weekly newsletters, has a long-running podcast, and his YouTube channel has over 200,000 subscribers. He also has an amazing video that I strongly recommend you watch and we'll put in the show notes called, it's about the magic marker. I forget if it's actually called the magic marker, but Danny, welcome to the show. And I'm happy to have you here. And I shared your magic marker video in my newsletter recently and had a bunch of people write back and tell me how much they loved it. So I know they're going to be excited to hear us talk now. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's called The Artist Who Couldn't Draw. And, there you uh, go. I knew it had a better title than The Magic Marker, but that's the part that stuck with me. So, Danny, I'm excited to talk to you. You know, it's interesting. You're in this position where you've got a large audience. You've got a business built around it. Things are going well. But like everyone, everyone's got stuff that they're always like, well, it could be bigger. It could be better. It could be I feel like I'm missing opportunities. And I think it's so funny because again, I'm in the I'm in the same way where I've had a certain level of success and people come to me and they think I have it all figured out. And it's like all I see is like, well, but no, like it's going okay. But there's this this thing I'm missing and that piece isn't quite working. And so we're gonna we're gonna get into some of those things. So let's let's jump into it. What is your first question? Well, I have to say, listening to your show and and reading you, your newsletter, I'm always getting more ideas of things I should be doing. So just when I think I'm settled, but I want to talk to you as ask you first of all about that YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. I've been producing several videos each week for almost 10 years now. And so I've managed to get up to a couple hundred thousand subscribers. And the videos that I make generally focus on people's challenges in permitting themselves to be creative and mm -hmm. more specifically to draw, but it deals with all kinds of aspects of the blocks that we set up for ourselves. And people seem very engaged with them. I get anywhere from 10,000 to up to a million views per video. And I get a lot of comments. So mm -hmm. this has become a, the main way that I've, I've been adding people to my funnel. But my call to action has been limited to this kind of consistent pitch asking people to sign up for my weekly essay and I give them a free ebook as a lead magnet. Mm -hmm. And this has been pretty effective. I have, I have two mailing lists. I have my convert kit mailing list, which is where I send out my the newsletter, which is an essay. And I have mm -hmm. about 18 to 20,000 people on that list. And then I also have my business thing. So not my personal thing, but my business thing, which has about 80,000. And that's on active campaign. And I'm trying to figure out how to develop a clear plan on how to transition people who are coming in and they're interested in my essays. I want to get them ultimately into my, my business flow. I want to turn them into paying customers for our mm -hmm. online courses, for our membership. But I'm worried that it feels like bait and switch. I know that these people are interested in me and what I write about, but are mm -hmm. they, I don't want to hit them too hard with, well, you should sign up for this course or join this member. 
So I feel like pitching them might taint the relationship that we've developed because I give them advice and I might, might cause them to unsubscribe. So I just wonder if you have any thoughts on how I should look at this situation. Yeah. So I have a bunch of thoughts about all of that. So let me start with, so clarify for me why they're two separate lists. And so people are people who are getting the essays are signing up to get the essays, but the business list, which is significantly bigger, where are those people coming from and what are they getting compared to the essay list? So I started the essays about two years ago. I started mm -hmm. my, what became my business list probably 20 years ago. So those are people who, okay. my followers are interested in me, but they ultimately have been focused on taking classes on drawing and watercolor mm -hmm. and so forth. But there's a lot of people who read my newsletter and who won't follow my channel who may not be interested in that specifically. Mm -hmm. So it's broken down into these two paths. My weekly newsletter, there was a point where I wasn't sure if I need to bifurcate my brand. In fact, you talked mm -hmm. about this, I think, last week about mm -hmm. the problem between having a personal brand and having a, having a business brand. So I think I'm in that problem and I'm trying to merge them. Yeah. So, so is it safe to say that the essay list is broader creativity, creative process, and the business list is more sort of art focus? I want to learn how to draw. I want to learn how to paint. I want to learn how to whatever. Is that kind of the differentiation it point? Is, it, it is. It is. But I think in a lot of ways, there's a Venn diagram of the artist of the two of mm -hmm. the two audiences. And I think they overlap because ultimately I'm talking to people right. who, who want to start, who want to learn. Mm -hmm. And so they may have- And how, how are people getting How are people getting on the business list other than obviously it's been around for longer? But right now, is everyone that's giving is anyone that's giving you their email address now going on the essay list, or there's still people just going on the business list? There's definitely a lot of overlap. I've gone back and forth between using the YouTube channel to direct people to one or the other. Now I'm trying to direct them mm -hmm. to the business list. In the mm -hmm. past, we've also we spent about a year doing growth advertising and spent an awful lot of money on Facebook, which kind mm -hmm. of sort of worked out, but not entirely. But mm -hmm. I think it's people people who've been reading my books, people who've been following me, also other instructors who've worked for us, it's people who follow mm -hmm. them. So it's it's a lot okay. and a lot of different sources. So I think the first thing I would probably do is I would probably collapse the lists. And you can figure out just because you have one list doesn't mean you send everybody everything. You can sort that through and you can segment the list in various ways. But I think you want to have one central thing, and I'm going to talk about this in a second in terms of how you position and call to action, but you have essentially you have one list, you have one quote unquote newsletter or whatever you're calling it. And that's what people come into right now within that they may have the option to say, I don't want the weekly essays, or I only want stuff that's about drawing, or you can figure that out. But I think you're setting yourself up for Number one, it's more work. It's confusing from a promotion standpoint because you're like, do I promote this list? Do I promote the other list? The messaging gets confusing. You wind up with overlap with people that are on both lists. I think simplifying it and having one list would be a good, a good thing to do. The other thing, and this is true with all sort of newsletters, email lists, whatever, even if you're using it for business and, and email marketing, I think one of the keys is People are not signing up for the content. They don't want the content. They want the result that the content helps them get. So all of your messaging and positioning should be pitching the result that they're going to get. So right now you're pitching it as sign up to get, and I'll talk about the essays one for the most part, because that was most of the messaging that I saw. 
all content exists to help people get a result, unless you're just trying to entertain them, which is a whole other thing. But for the most part, your entire business, everything you do is focused on helping people get from a point A to a point B. All of it, the YouTube videos, the newsletter, the courses, the everything are different ways, both free and paid, are different ways that they can make that journey from point A to point B. So what you want is you want alignment in your messaging of all of these things so that the person that joins your email list or joins your newsletter is actually the same person that might buy your course they may or may not buy the course, but it's just a different option and different way to get where they want to go and vice versa. Anyone that's on the quote unquote business list that, you know, that is buying your course or buying any of your products, they should absolutely want your newsletter because it's the free newsletter because it's another way to get where they want to go. So when you start pitching it based on result, everything becomes aligned. When you pitch it based on format, do you want my essays? Maybe I don't want your essays. Do you want a weekly email from me that's going to help you accomplish X thing that you want to accomplish? Oh, I do want that. So I think that's what I would do is I would think about, and I'm sure you know this already in, in some of your messaging for other stuff, but that same messaging that you have for your products, that same value proposition, carry into the messaging around all of your free content, and especially your newsletter as well. And when you do that, this leads into the next thing of feeling like it's a bait and switch. If it's aligned, it's not a bait and switch. Because what they're signing up for is Danny's going to help me go from point A to point B. And he's going to give me a bunch of free content in this newsletter to help me do this. And when he pitches his other products, I may not buy them, but they're aligned with the same thing, the same value I signed up to get. If you were selling some other product that has nothing to do with anything, that's different. But you're not, you're not doing that. The reason why you worry that it's a bait and switch is because you're telling people, sign up to get my essays. And then you feel weird about promoting your courses because they signed up for your essays. Does that make sense? If you reframe the positioning of what the emails slash newsletter are and their purpose, then it feels aligned. They're just different ways to do it. Does that all make sense? Questions about that? It does. I, I guess I guess my, my problem is that when I write my essays, I write for any kind of a creative person. So it could be somebody mm -hmm. who's a writer. It could be somebody who works in, in I don't know, in marketing. It could mm -hmm. be a lot of different things. And then I think, well, if I'm now saying to you, take this watercolor class, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly solve your problem, but I see the, the main point, which is my thrust is anybody can be more creative. There's lots of different ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. This is one of them. So yeah. Let me give you an example, and I know you're familiar with my own newsletter, so let me give you an example from my newsletter. I put stuff in my newsletter that's, let's say, how to grow your podcast. I know that a small portion of my audience has a podcast. So this is you with the, like, here's how to do watercolors. But ultimately, my newsletter is not only about how to grow your podcast. So I might, in the same issue, have how to grow your podcast how to grow your YouTube, how to become a better writer. So I'm not looking for people to click all three. Most people don't do writing, have a YouTube and have a podcast. I want them to find one thing in each issue that's super valuable to them. So to, to your point, if you have that list and watercolors is one of the ways in which people can be more creative and do the thing that they want to do. 
Would I send an email that was solely about watercolors? Probably not. But the people that are doing watercolors, the general creative stuff, what you call your essays, is relevant to them. So if each newsletter, for example, and again, you can figure out whatever format you want, but this is also where I think breaking from the idea that the newsletter is just the essay, that the essay is a part of the newsletter, allows you, and this is just a complete hypothetical, but you could go, look, my newsletter is always going to be a general sort of creative inspiration, advice, that kind of thing, what would have typically been your essays, and then something specific that they can do. So the person that doesn't care about watercolors got the other thing and was like, this newsletter was valuable to me. The person who does care about watercolors, both parts were probably valuable to them. But it's wrapping your head around reframing what your newsletter and email can be and sort of merging, because right now in your mind, they're very separate. You almost have two audiences and understanding to your point that like intellectually that there's a lot of overlap, but you've been hesitant because you are seeing them as separate. But I think once you see them that like there's an overriding thing and watercolors or drawing or whatever, these are just different methods through which, you know, they sort of live under the overall creative mission or whatever you want to call it. Now it fits and they don't feel as A and B. That's really helpful. Thank you. That's really great. Cool. The other thing I would say about this in general is, and again, I think a lot of this goes away when you sort of restructure or reposition the way we're talking about, but that fear that, well, if I start promoting my paid stuff, they're going to unsubscribe, which everybody feels, by the way, like I think that's such a common thing. And what I would say is, number one, if you have that alignment between the overall sort of transformation you're helping people make and the content, it's less of an issue. But also, if somebody doesn't find the free stuff valuable and they're not going to buy from you, you should want them to unsubscribe anyway because they're not the right people. As it's one thing if you're just sending promotional emails. So if you're like, hey, get my newsletter and every week you're just like, buy this course and buy that course and, and there is no free value, that's a little different, but you're not going to do that. If you're giving them free value and offering to sell your product and they don't find either of those things valuable, buy. Like you're not actually losing anything. They're doing you a favor. So that's why I don't, I knew when I shifted my newsletter from weekly to daily that I was going to get more unsubscribes. Even with a good newsletter, just because, as you know, every time you send an email, a certain percentage of people, even if it's small, unsubscribe. But in my own mind, I was like, okay, I'm okay with sending six times a week and getting six times as many unsubscribes on a weekly basis because the people that I'm losing, I don't think are my people anyway. And by the way, it doesn't feel great. It never feels great. You know, I send an email, I get 60 people unsubscribed basically every day. Like that doesn't feel great. But I also keep in mind, I look at it and I go, well... But you know what? The ones that are staying are even more closely to connected to me. Like they weren't the right people anyway. So I could send weekly and they could stick around for months and then ultimately unsubscribe. But who cares? If they don't want this, like let them go. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on here was some specific suggestions about call to actions and stuff. And I looked at your videos where you where you pitched the newsletter up to this point. And for anyone who wants to check it out, we'll include a link, obviously, to your YouTube channel, which has tons of great stuff. So a few specific suggestions for you. One, in the descriptions of your video, I would add a clickable URL. If you use the HTTP, people can actually click. Otherwise, you're making them go to their browser and type it in, and it just creates more friction, and they're less likely to do it. The other thing is, in that description, you can tailor your call to action to the content of the video. So for example, if somebody's watching a video about drawing, as opposed to just saying, go get my newsletter, or go check out my essays, 
go get my newsletter where I frequently share tips about drawing. You can match to what you know they're looking at. And then if you have another video that's more about the general creative process, your description line in there might be, go check out my newsletter with more tips about the creative process. Match it versus just saying, go check out my newsletter. The other thing, which I don't think you've done, maybe you have and I don't know about it. I would do a video specifically pitching the newsletter. Once you clarify in your own mind what this thing is, you have a huge audience, you have 200,000 subscribers, I think, or whatever it is. Do a video that really is just about this resource and telling people what it is and why they should check it out. And my guess is that will probably drive a bunch of subscriptions for you. It also comes in handy that you can use it in probably other ways and link to it in other videos. It just seems like a good resource to have. I was watching how you pitch your newsletter in one of your, in some of your videos. And so I watched the video called How to Do What You Love. You do have a pitch in the video itself pretty early on, which is great to make sure people see it. But you basically say you're pitching your sort of essays newsletter and you essentially say, hey, subscribe and you can get them, or I say the same thing in my video. So you undercut your own pitch by basically going, hey, I got this newsletter and it'd be great if you subscribe to it, but you don't really have to because I'll say all this stuff here as well. And I'm all about repurposing content, by the way, but that is not helping you. That's also where I think restructuring how you think about what the newsletter is will make it a little different and give them more of an incentive to sign up without creating a ton of additional work. You really want to position it as you love these videos, you're missing out on all this other stuff. And even at its most basic level, because of how YouTube works and like, even if it's just like, if you like my videos and you want to, you want a heads up when the new one's out, subscribe as opposed to hoping YouTube shows it to you and play that up, right? You're probably missing stuff. Even if you're subscribed to my channel, make sure you don't miss it by signing up. And then the last thing I would say is I went to look at your newsletter sign up page, which you're using the free book as a lead magnet, which is I'm not in general, I'm not a huge fan of lead magnets, but that's that's a whole separate story, but I think they're they're fine. They can work. But when I look at it, if someone goes to your newsletter sign-up page now, it's sort of all about the book. And I wonder if that's actually shrinking your audience because there might be people who are like, I don't really read books, that if the, that the sign-up page was actually focused on how valuable this newsletter is, and then secondarily say, oh, and you'll also get the free book, it'd be it worth at least trying out to see how it impacts your conversions. Because my guess is you'll get more conversions with a with a sign up page geared towards like this is like this awesome newsletter that you guys are going to love versus hey do you want this book just because again there's a lot of people that they, a book seems like a lot of work or they don't read books or they they love a quick tip every week or something like that especially with an audience that is seeing you on YouTube and consuming a lot of 5 minute videos so something to think about and try could be wrong but very easy to test. Switch out that page for a month and see what happens. It makes sense because I had noticed that the, the sign-up rate was it was about 50%. And I kept thinking to myself, why would somebody go to the trouble of going to a sign-up page right. where they could get all this stuff for free and then half of them aren't signing up? Why would that be? Yeah. I think what you just said probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, worth, it's definitely worth trying. So cool, let's get to your second question. Okay, so my second question in the question is about the way that my products and my business have changed over time. So my company's been around for about nine years. We started really with online courses. They've been 
priced at the same rate, basically, which is $99 for our six week mm-hmm. class. Over the last couple of years, though, we pivoted to focus primarily on our Spark membership program, which has several hours daily live classes mm-hmm. and a very active membership base. You get to track teacher and that costs $130 a month. So it's more expensive mm-hmm. than a course, but it's, I think, delivering you a lot more and people have signed up for it, really love it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's different, it's unique, but it is pricier than the courses. And we've had people at the very beginning when we first started doing this saying, oh, this is so expensive. So it's it's been more challenging for us to pitch in email, even the, mm-hmm. even to the, all the people who know us, they know our brand, they know the quality of what. So, and we offer free trials, we offer money back, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to figure out is how to move people who are on our list to the trial. So you can get a Mm two-week trial. We've done buy one, get one sales. We've done other kind of promotions. Those have worked pretty well. We try not to do Mm -hmm. them too often. I just wish we had a consistent way to help people understand the value of this thing, which is in a lot of ways not comparable to anything else that's out there. We're not the same as being able to go to, because it's frankly a lot of competition with these platforms that offer a huge number of of yeah. courses for $9 a month. When people will say that, well, I can get an art class for $9. And I say, well, yep, sure, enjoy it. But what we're offering is 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 different. So I just wonder if you had any thoughts about this, about how to, because these people are our customers. Yeah. They have been. I do. So I have a few questions for you. But first, before I get to those, I want to I wanna react to something that you just said. So... While it is not my niche, it completely makes sense to me that you are competing against these massive platforms that are maybe cheaper and have a million courses from everyone. I would directly acknowledge that and make the counter argument to that on your sales page, which I don't think you do. And most people don't, by the way, right? Most people on their sales pages spend all this time talking about how what's in the program or what's in the product and how great it is and blah, blah, blah. But if you know that one of the biggest objections people have is they go, I can sign up for this other thing and for a lot less money, get access to all these courses and whatever, there's a reason why they should choose, not everyone, but you know there's a reason why some people should choose you as opposed to that. And I would directly address it on that sales page. Somewhere in there go, why this? And flat out say, like, it seems like a no-brainer better deal, but that is not this. And here's why. One of the pitches that we that I experimented with, I don't think we ever actually tried it, was to say studies have shown that most people who take online courses, mm-hmm. actually, I mean, at ridiculous rates, like you can sign up. Yeah, for like 90% or yeah, something. Like yeah, 1% completion rate. So mm-hmm. we want, well, my pitch is, you know what, if you sign up for this thing, you will you will stick just because there's so many mm-hmm. other variables. It's not just you and a, a web page. It's, yeah. it's a community and it's people. So that's a very different position. And I think, yeah, you're right. I do need to to emphasize. Express that. And the other thing I would do as an exercise is I would look at the language on your sales page and the way you talk about everything and compare it to those other options and see how similar or different they are. It'd be interesting to see, are you, does the description of your your membership and your offer, are you saying the same things that they are, or is it clearly, it sounds different, it feels different, that kind of thing. 
So let me ask you a couple of questions about getting into some of the numbers. And you don't have to give me specific numbers, but in general, you have more people. I assume you have more people buying individual courses than you do have in the membership. Like how much, what are the size of like course buyers versus membership? It's changed a lot over the years. So I would mm-hmm. say courses, because we're actually not doing that much to actively promote them anymore. Yeah. So courses and workshops have diminished and certainly on a on a dollar value, membership is way much right. more of our business. But in terms of number of people, is it 50-50? Is it 70-30? Um, it's probably 50-50. Roughly 50. Okay. So a few questions that I that you may know and may have thought about, but if you haven't, these are things that I would definitely spend some time thinking about. So number one with the membership, do you know why people bought and why they didn't? And have you actually had conversations with them? And not just after the fact, because after the fact, they might go, oh yeah, I love it because X, Y, and Z. And that's really valuable. But almost before they start, someone buys and as part of that onboarding, hey, what are you hoping to get out of this? Why did you buy this? Why did you buy this as opposed to joining that you don't have to name a competitor, but one of these other things. You will wind up get, especially if you ask open-ended questions, you will wind up getting stuff from them that you can use in your own copy and messaging that's their own words. So that's just a sort of knowledge gathering thing and asking people that maybe have bought your courses and why didn't you buy and push them to go a little further than, yes, there'll be some people that's like, it's just too expensive. But like, it's usually more than just that. I mean, sometimes it's, but you know, so that would be another thing. Do you know what what percentage, I know you said you offer free trials. Do you know what percentage of those free trials convert to paid members? At least a third of them convert and okay. stay for se- se- several months, let's say. Okay. So that's good. And again, I would also with them, like the ones that don't convert, that might even be better than people that didn't buy initially. Like go to the ones that didn't convert and find out like, why, why not? You were interested enough to try it out. What was missing? What would have made you convert? And maybe you know this already. I don't know. It's very complex, honestly, because mm-hmm. because in a sense, what we're doing is we're asking them to change their behavior, right? We're mm-hmm. asking them to. It's it's one thing if you feel the need to make art. Oh, I should I should, I should really right. get into drawing. Let me sign up for a course. You do it. You don't actually follow through on it, but you've satisfied that itch. Mm-hmm. But if you sign up for something like this, we're expecting you to do it. All right, we're going to keep coming back to you. We're going to we always, are always comparing this with a gym, right? So. If right. our goal was just to sign you up as a member of a gym and hope that you never right. pain, be a good business. But we, we want you to come and we want to prod you into mm-hmm. doing it. But all these essays that I write are about the fact that people have enormous resistance and a lot of things that conflict with their desire to do this, but get in the way. So it just becomes very complicated. Whereas buying a course is a pretty cut and dry thing. I go, I, right. use, I either use it or I don't. That's the end transaction. Here's another thing to think about, and this is counterintuitive, but part of your pitch could even be, there's all these people that like somewhere in their mind, they're like, maybe I'd be an artist. I don't know. Maybe I'm creative. Like maybe I'd like to try it, blah, blah, blah. And the idea that doing this is either going to work for you and you're going to find that this is for you, or you're going to go, you know what? This isn't for me. I don't really like it. And that that's valuable too. And it gets them the idea that purchasing, even if it ultimately they decide it's not for them, gets them past that stuck in that forever. I wonder if I could do this or I wonder if I would ever. 
and removes a little of the pressure of like, well, oh, well, if nothing else, there's sort of a version of like, even if fail is not the right word, but even if I fail, I succeed because I learned that I don't really like doing this or that's not really what I want to do. The other thing I would say is you mentioned that it's challenging to pitch an email. I don't know the answer to this. I just think it's a, it's a good question to ask for, for anyone and anything. Is it challenging to pitch or are you selling something people don't want? I think taking a step back and going, is the membership as currently construct what they want or is there a different version of it? I don't know the answer to that and you probably don't off the top of your head either, but it is something to consider. And the other thing I would say, and that sort of leads into my next point here, is in looking through what's in the membership, there is a boatload of stuff in there. Like It's like there's daily classes and you get access to this and you get access to that and whatever. And I wonder if there's some people that that feels really overwhelming. And I wonder if it scares some of them off because it feels like too much and feels like a commitment or they join and they start to feel bad because I'm not able to make it to four of the weekly daily things and whatever. It's very easy in the process of trying to provide as much value as possible to go too far and start to like overwhelm people. And, and by the way, I did this even in my free newsletter. I tell the story where a few years ago I had like 10 items in my in my newsletter and I did a survey of my audience and I asked them in one word, describe how my newsletter makes you feel. By the way, a great question to survey your membership people too. In one word, how does it make you feel? And these were people who really liked it, but I noticed a bunch of people said the word overwhelm. And I was like, that's not a great sign. They love it, but the newsletter feels overwhelming. And then that led me to eventually survey them and say, hey, instead of me sharing 10 items each week, should I share five? Almost everybody said five and I shrank the newsletter and now I'm down to a daily that's like a single paragraph or whatever. But so people can really like a thing, but feel overwhelmed by it. You you have a lot of stuff in there. So that's something to consider. And you could also even consider, are there different versions of the membership? Is there a, maybe this is too much for you, but whether it's a lower price point or a starter thing where you just get access to pieces of it, or you, again, part of what you're doing is helping them develop a daily habit. So that sort of goes against, a little against what I'm saying, but understanding like, does it feel too much to people? And is that is that scaring them off? Maybe, maybe not. And then I wanted to give you a few other ideas for this. So one is what I do with my skill sessions, which for anyone who's listening, you can check out at joshspector.com slash sessions. There are a series of one-hour video workshops that I do. I do one once every two months. You can buy them individually or you can become an annual subscriber and get all of them and join live and vote on topics and et cetera. So when someone buys one individually, I don't publicize this, but this is what happens. They buy a skill session, they get an email and I say, hey, if you liked it and you want to upgrade into the membership, I'll refund your original purchase. I don't know if you do that or not, but you have all these courses and it would be interesting to have someone who buys a course get an email saying, hey, you just bought this $99 course. If you liked it and want to upgrade to the membership, I'll refund you that original purchase. And I get people all the time. I don't know the exact percentage. I probably should. But all the time, people that you know then upgrade because at that point, they've actually seen something from me that they bought and paid for. And they're like, this is good. I want more of them. So that's an easy automated thing that you could potentially do to link those sort of course buyers into, into membership. The other thing I would say is on your homepage, and for anyone that wants to look this up, it's sketchbookschool.com. We'll put the link there. The membership is pretty buried. 
So the homepage right now is really pushing the courses, which I understand. But if the membership is a priority, like you have to scroll down pretty far to like the fourth section to to finally get a membership program plug. So you might want to think about, should you be pushing the membership more than the courses, even though the courses are lower priced? Just something to consider. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that we have done that, which is that we don't believe that somebody just coming to our website is going to go to that page and sign for our, our membership. Mm-hmm. That just isn't how it works, it seems. Right. Our goal is really- To know, get them in a course and then move them from there. Exactly. And, and use email to do that stuff. So that leads actually into the other thing. So I think more clearly differentiating, not what's in it, but more clearly differentiating the value of the courses versus the membership, as opposed to the membership just being, well, it's more courses, they're live daily or whatever. So thinking about, and I don't know the answer to this, should the membership sell really about be about the community or the daily? practice versus the course, which I think it probably is. But like on the membership sales page, community is the last thing you mentioned. There's a lot about live daily classes and courses. So really differentiating aside from the financial investment. Courses are for people who want this. Membership is for people who want this and making it obvious. I always say that people don't want more, they want different. So I think you want to make sure that people don't think the membership is just like more courses. You really want to go, no, this is a totally different product. Yes, it has courses in it and it's on the same subject line, whatever. But again, people buy courses for this reason, people buy membership for this reason. You could even have a like, what's a better fit for you page. If you want X, Y, and Z, if you struggle with X, Y, and Z, this is the product for you. You struggle with A, B, and C, this is the product for you. So I think that differentiation will help. Yeah, I feel like we're we're selling... We're trying to sell small and build it. But maybe we'll, mm-hmm. from what you're saying, maybe we need to sell big. And then if like, okay, you don't want that? Well, how about a little bit of this? Or how about... Mm-hmm. And, and we've done that. So for instance, we don't really advertise it, but you can buy a version of our membership where you don't get to participate in the community stuff. You only right. get access to the library. Mm-hmm. We have another version of it where you only participate in membership and you don't yeah. get classes. So... But we don't make all that explicit in part because we are trying to sell you. We're trying to either say, right. buy a course and then we'll upsell you or buy the big thing. Well, and it also can be, and again, this is, I'm obviously not an expert on all your stuff, but this is just an example. The pitch can be different in that hypothetically, the course could be, if you want to learn how to draw, buy this course. If you want to develop a daily habit of drawing, buy this membership. And what, what I thought about when I was looking at your membership is, are you familiar with Ship 30? Ship 30 for 30. Okay. So I, which I haven't done it, but I do, I do know those guys a bit. And I, so this is a little bit of an assumption, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's true. Some people are joining because they want to learn how to write better online, but lots of people are joining because they want the community or they want to get in the habit of the daily thing. It's actually very similar to what I just said for you versus membership versus courses. There's lots of places that I can go buy courses to teach me how to write. But the ship 30 thing of you're going to publish every day and I'm going to come out of it after 30 days having done the thing, that's a hook that differentiates it from a typical course. From what I could tell from looking at your membership stuff, the daily call, like, That's a piece of it. And I think looking at how Ship 30 markets that piece of what they do, because it's been very successful, and you have to use this term, but thinking about it as like our membership is the Ship 30 for the art world. 
I love that. And that sort of it that way, yeah. Can click with people, right? And you can look at the things that they've done. They've done a lot of really smart stuff where they have people publish every day, which is basically promoting their stuff and people want to be a part of it. But like I, to me, I see a, a real similarity there and it starts to, the membership starts to feel very different and you start to go, okay, I know why I'm doing the membership instead of buying the course. And I know why, oh, now I, and by the way, I don't know what they charge, but it's a lot, even though it's not ongoing forever, but you know, each cohort or whatever, those people are paying for a lot more than just, oh, there's classes every day. Like they're paying to have someone help them and a community help them develop that habit. And I do think just like clearly there is for writing, there's probably a lot of people with art that would pay for that, that want that help, the daily piece. I think it's a difference um, between do you want to take a writing class or do you want to be a writer? Yeah. Do you want to take a drawing yeah. class or do you want to be a... See, I love that. I love, yeah, that I love that language because I also love that that forces someone... To you talk about differentiation. It's like here... If you just want to learn how to do it, you can buy a course and we'll show you how to do it. I love that. Do you want to learn how to make art or do you want to be an artist? Artists do it every day. Artists invest in it. Artists commit to it. Artists like- Artists hang out with other artists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I love that. Cool. So let's get to your third question. Okay. So this is a, a bigger picture question. Over the last nine years, we've been, I think, pretty creative in running the company. We've built this loyal fan base. We've sold to a lot of people. Despite that, we've remained pretty consistent in terms of scale. I'd like to obviously reach more people. And I remember a couple of episodes ago, you asked somebody, somebody was talking to you about scale and you said, well, why do you yeah. want to scale? And when I heard that my blood ran cold and I've been thinking about how I would answer right. that when you asked me. But we love our company. We love the customers. We love the way that we work as a team. We love creating all this content for different platforms. Mm -hmm. so we're making stuff almost every day. We tried focusing on growth marketing for a year and we channeled most of our profit into Facebook ads. I don't know. I don't think we attracted the right people, honestly. So I don't yeah. know how much of a difference that made. But nothing has led us to sort of seismic changes. And we've thought about things like, should there be, should we have associations like we've thought about? Should we try and reach veterans, for instance, and talk to mm -hmm. them about the therapeutic aspects of art making? But we're really wondering, what could we be doing that would move us just not from like this sort of iterative little kind of changes back and forth that we've mm -hmm. had to something that really changes our business in a mm -hmm. meaningful way? So, yeah, no, it's it's a good question. And the first thing is, which is easier said than done, but in your mind, how would you define, like when you say seismic change or go to the next level, what would that be? How would you know when you got there? Is it about doubling your audience, doubling your revenue? What in your mind is like seismic change versus incremental change? I think it's having resources to do certain things that we're still forced to do ourselves. My team is pretty small. There's basically four mm -hmm. of us who work on a regular basis, and then we have a couple dozen other people come and go. And I think we're still jerry-rigging stuff. We're still combining seven platforms to do things. Yeah. So I would say it's not really a matter of dollars. I think mm -hmm. it's just a matter of feeling of momentum and a feeling like we're doing business differently now. So one of the things, and I've talked about this a little bit in a previous episode, and we'll link to it, identifying what's working the best and how you can amplify or double down on that. And also identifying the stuff that probably isn't the best use of your time. And can you get rid of it? One of the questions that I think is really helpful to always consider is if you were forced to get rid of, and you can pick whatever number you want. I always like 20% is a nice number. If you were forced to stop doing 20% of the things that you're doing, what would you choose? 
if you had to do it? Because I think a lot of times people ask that question of like, oh, well, what could I get rid of? And it's like, no, force yourself to do it. Are there courses? Are there offers? Are there videos? Like, what would you do if you had to free, if you had to get rid of 20% of things? It will wind up freeing up time and resources that can be repurposed, even if it's little stuff that you're like, oh, that doesn't take me long. But you realize you're doing a lot of things that don't take you long and aren't really generating much, much return. The other thing is when you start to think about your, especially with the position you're in, because you already have a large audience, when you start to think about yourself as a platform and think about, are there other things that you could bring in and offer and give access to your platform? I don't know exactly what that would be, but you have attracted, you have a relationship with a large audience of people who want to learn how to draw and paint and become more creative and all of that stuff. With that audience, there's all sorts of things that you could do. Do you get into the event business? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Are you familiar with Creative Mornings? I'm guessing. I am, yeah. Maybe you are. Okay. So Creative Mornings has these talks all over the place, but what then all of a sudden they built like a database of creative people that you can hire for all sorts of, I need a graphic designer, I need a this, I need a that, I need a whatever. And so that's an example of like, not their core business, but a thing that completely makes sense because they have an audience of creative people who are both trying to get hired and looking to hire and and whatever. So broadening your own sense of, we make content and offer courses and memberships to help people do this. But unlike when you started, you now have this asset, which is your relationship with this audience that might be valuable in all sorts of different ways. So again, just a sort of thinking exercise and finding that other thing to to your point of sort of seismic change next level, finding that other thing could have a drastic impact on the overall business, the overall whatever the case may be. For example, I'm not saying this necessarily makes sense, but do you, if you have people that were developing artistic skills that could then get hired, do you become a sort of job placement thing? Like whereas people join the membership and it helps, you're also able to help them get work or get commissions or get whatever it is. Not saying that's it, but you know that those kind of opportunities. The other thing I would say, and this was when I was thinking about your situation, popped into my mind. And it's funny that you mentioned veterans and those organizations. I definitely think there's opportunities there. Anything that where you can find one person or one organization to say yes, and that one yes gets you a ton of people is a lot better than if one organization can get you a thousand people as opposed to having to go find a thousand people to say, yes, that's a that's a really good use of your time when you talk about scaling. But the other thing that came to my mind was, have you considered partnerships or sponsorships with art stores? Yes. Because- we Yeah, we have sponsorship. We have a lot of art supply manufacturers who are sponsoring aspects of us. We're about to do an online event that is going to have sponsors in it. So- yeah, that that what about that, partnerships? So here so here's what I'm thinking about for that. So, and I don't spend a lot of time in art stores, but I know there's big like art store chains and whatever. So if you went to them and you said, "Hey, let's partner up so that anyone that comes in here to buy paints or to buy drawing notebooks or to buy whatever, they have access to our stuff. We basically do it we do a co-thing because we can drive people to you to buy their materials from you and you can drive your customers to us 
to learn more and join our membership and do whatever. You're, there's so much alignment. You both have stuff to offer sort of two sides of the same equation to this audience. So beyond a typical sponsorship, like a typical sponsorship is, which I'm assuming is basically what you're doing at this point, is they come in and they go, we want some exposure to reach your audience and whatever. But these art stores every day literally have people that should be your members coming through their doors. And every day you have people watching your videos the need to buy supplies from these stores. So from a seismic change, finding one partner, six month deal, annual deal, whatever it is, and go, let's get together and figure this out because there's revenue here for both of us. And plus those people, I'm sure, especially if you go to a chain or whatever, they have email lists. So that to me seemed like an obvious, both sponsorships, which are great as well, but it seems like there's potentially a bigger partnership possibility there. And all you need is one big partner to drastically increase your audience size and potentially revenue. Again, you figure out the specifics of it, but it could be really, it could be really cool. It's a great idea. Yes. Thank you. You're making me think we need to re-examine that. Yeah. And the other thing you can do again, in terms of like, in terms of scale is you have a big enough platform that you could go hire someone on a freelance or whatever basis and say, here's what I want, like a business development person, basically, and say, go find me partnerships, go find me sponsors. I'm interested in both revenue and people that can drive me audience. I know I think you mentioned somewhere the idea of, do you break into a kid's market? Is there a kid's version of this? I think you've got this thing and and that's a way in terms of scale, right? That's the way to really go. You can run Facebook ads and you can pour a bunch of money in and they can work and you can grow, but you're still growing one by one versus I'm going to go find someone who's already got a big thing going and I'm gonna, and we're going to find a way to partner up. There's a great book called Who Not How, and it's all about how people, especially like creators, creative entrepreneurs, we tend to be like, I want to do this thing. I got to figure out how to do it. And that basically you're much better off going, who can do this for me? Who can figure this out for me? And that that will actually scale. And especially when it comes to scale, like way faster than you trying to sort it out your, yourself. Cool. Does that give you some ideas, hopefully? To... So many ideas. Thank you so much. That was cool. really, really valuable. Great. Awesome. So let's send some new people your way. Remind people where they can go to check out your stuff and get your soon-to-be-revised newsletter and watch your YouTube videos and all that. Where should they go? They can go to sketchbookschool.com. Sketchbook School. We spell school with a K so that... But if you go to the up spelling of it, it'll get you there too. Our YouTube channel, which again, just search Sketchbook School. And if you want to sign up for my essays right now, you can just go to dannysessays.com. And cool. I'm Danny Gregory, so my website has a bunch of stuff on it too. There you go. And I highly recommend all of Danny's stuff. I came across it recently and I was like, I think I even said to you when we had an email exchange, I was like, how have I not seen this before? Like, how, how did I, this is like right in my wheelhouse. How do I not know this exists? For me, again, my newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. If you would like to come on this podcast and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions to submit them. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. Danny, thanks so much for coming on and giving me these great questions to talk about. I know lots of people are in a similar situation to you, so hopefully they will find them helpful. Thanks everyone for listening and watching, and I will see you next week.